Hello and welcome to the Comics Pals Book Club. We are doing this live for the very first time, so welcome if you are with us. Let us know if you're with us. Let us know. We want to hear from you right up front. All the pals are here. We are going to be talking about, for the very first time in pals history, the long Halloween. Wow. Yes, indeed. Now, I want to do a, a little, a, a quick a quick intro, of course, The Long Halloween, written by Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale, uh, lettered by Richard Starkings, with colors by Gregory Wright. It was released by DC Comics as Batman The Long Halloween from December of 96 to December of 97. I don't know why, but when I read that it was released as The Long Halloween, I was pretty, like, that, sh- that surprised me, that it wasn't like Legends of the Dark Knight, XXX, oh, you know? Yeah. Oh, huh. Um, and it was it ran for thirteen issues, thirteen chapters over twelve months, so that's a pretty good uh, cadence there. Now, of course, Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale are a duo that probably most people who are actively engaged with comics, you know, are aware of. They've worked together a lot of times, so their working history consists of Batman Haunted Night which actually was uh, three issues from Batman Legends of the Dark Knight Halloween special that dropped in night from 93 to 95. So they worked with each other there. Then they worked with each other on uh-huh. Wolverine Gambit victims in 95. I, I, I was shocked when I saw that one um, sale on a Wolverine book. That's crazy. Yeah. That sounds pretty cool. Um, that's not the word I would use, but yeah, no, you don't think that's cool. Neat. I've got opinions. Oh. All right. Uh, Batman The Long Halloween, of course, which we're here to talk about from 96 to 97. Superman For All Seasons in 98. Dark Victory, which is a sequel to The Long Halloween, uh, was published between 99 and 2000. Then the color series that they did over at Marvel was Daredevil Yellow, 2001 to 2002. Spider-Man Blue, 03 to 04. Hulk Gray, 04 to 05. Um, or I'm sorry, 03 to 04, Catwoman went in Rome. They went back to DC for this, which is a sequel to Dark Victory. That was 2004 to 2005. And then they wrapped up their relationship um, with Captain America White, which was published from 2008 to 2015. Oof, a lot of issues. Yeah. yeah. Yikes. Yeah. So long, uh, long time between those, those projects. But going back to this one real quick. Um, this was only their second project together. For as good as it is, huh. it was only their second one. And it came about, they thought they were done with DC. Archie Goodwin, who was the editor of this, convinced Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale to do the book by putting a splinter in Jeff Loeb's mind about the gangster characters that Frank Miller wrote in Batman Year One, like Falcone, and he was wondering what happened to them. So the combination of the opportunity to do a Batman book with the mob in it and set it in year one, uh, created by, of course, Frank Miller, who was one of uh, Loeb's favorites, got him excited. And then from there, a whisper from Mark Wade about telling the story of Harvey Dent and his transition into Two-Face uh, set Loeb off to the races. This is very much a year two story, supplanting the actual year two done by Mike Barr and Alan Davis and Todd McFarlane. It is a story examining the power of identity, 
the moral the morality of justice and what makes a just man and the changing of se- of the season of crime in Gotham we are talking about the long halloween so all of you have read it multiple uh, times is that what we're oh, supposed yeah. to do Yes, hopefully, hopefully. Marco watched um, the animated movie instead. <laughs> <laughs> uh, only the animated movie. Quick question. How many of you read this before The Dark Knight? Oh, yeah. I think I think it was it was before for me, too. Yeah. Like before the movie? Yeah. No. Oh, I think you meant before I read, like, The Dark Knight series. No, books. sorry, before okay. The Dark Knight movie. Um, no. You had big it. Big time. Yeah, no. oh, big time. Yeah, I did, but it was because of the relationship, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's absolutely incredible. And what, what struck me in this reread, as we get into talking about the book, is how fast everything kicks off. Like, this is a book yeah. with propulsion. Uh, the first chapter is 48 pages, and it feels like it feels like half. Yeah, it breezed through. Yeah. And then the rest of it is twenty four, and but yeah. but it doesn't feel like you lose out on said pacing. Yeah, it's funny when I when I was like, oh, it's thirteen issues, so oh, this might be a slog. No, this this is uh, it goes at a quick pace, honestly. It's uh, crazy. It, it went faster than I remember, and I remember it, I I've always remember it being a buttery smooth mm. read. Yeah, good. In in just the first issue, we we get all the primary players. We get introduced to the relationship between Gordon, uh, between Harvey Dent and Batman. The Holiday Killer is introduced. The Roman's money is burned up, and Harvey's house is bombed. Like all that is the first issue. <laughs> Yo, that's crazy. And it's funny that we're doing. So it's funny that we're doing this live post uh, the most recent edition of Pals Pulls where one of our biggest complaints is just how slow an issue can go. Um, so it was, it's actually kind of refreshing that, no, you can do it. It's an, it's an affirmation that this type of storytelling is effective, is fun, and uh, communicates the things that you need without it feeling like you need all that space or fluff. Yes. And I think one of the benefits this book gets is that it was made to be 13 issues, you know? Like it was already given that time by the editors who convinced them to do this, you know? Um, one of the downsides of modern comics is, like, you don't know when it's going to be able to... You're not Tom King and Mitch Jarrett who get, you know, 12 issues. Mm. So, uh, But that I think that doesn't preclude people from... or writers from plotting it out that way. I think you can plot an arc out with the expectation that from there, maybe you'll continue, maybe not. Because we hear from, you know, writers all the time, oh, I have this as an exit, just in case. Like if mm-hmm. they get called off a book or something. And I think this book deals, uh, works with the idea of the issue amazingly. Mm. Yep. Um, yeah. In the way that it kind of paces things out. It, it doesn't sacrifice the need to tell a story for the need to communicate the entire arc. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's actually an impressive achievement, I think that this book is able to balance so many different things there are so many topics uh whether they're on the surface or uh just slightly underneath so many characters 
mm. an unbelievable amount of characters. You know, after this, of course, we would go on to get Hush by Jeff Loeb and Jim Lee, and that was impressive in its own right. But all that stuff, I feel like, kind of started here, where you do that big book with all these different kinds of villains. Um, I thought, I, I mean, it's it's really an impressive achievement. I I call a lot of Jeff Jeff Loeb's work in superheroes sort of comic books 101 because books like hush and books like the long halloween tend to be sort of an over and even the marvel color series um they tend to be sort of an overview of a hero's career and you hit the the high notes of what's important um and what is driving them both Loeb does this really well what drives them both in the story, but also what drives them in the first place. Mm. Yeah. Um, and, 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 you know, right up front too, I want to say Tim sale. Unbelievable. I have thoughts on Tim sale. Good thoughts. Oh. Good thoughts. Not bad, but yeah. I have thoughts. I have mixed thoughts. Well, so, there's something about Tim Sale's art in my mind that just feels iconic. And there are several moments throughout this book where it's just like, wow, that is, that is it. That is it. When Batman arrives and meets with Jim Gordon and Harvey, and he's just standing there with the bat symbol behind him and the cape and everything. That's it. You know, that's money. Um, you know, him punching Joker in the face. Like, there's so many moments in this book. Um, just the way that the double-page uh, splashes are used, even the single-page splashes. It's big. It's a big, epic book. And Tim Sale's art really helps to drive that home. Yeah, absolutely. That that uh, Those one-pagers, I, I love how he'll add a signature at the bottom because he knows that shit is like, oh, I'm going to, I can sell this page. Like it's so, so good that it's already an art statement. And I think that that's a really cool when, when you're, I, I really like the art. I think it's super stylistic. And while there's maybe issues with like technical issues with form and body mm. position, I think because it's so just uh, full of, oh, that's Tim sales art. And that's the way he just likes to draw these things. I it get, it gets a pass for something for, at least for me because I know that he's doing it with that in mind. Like he, he can, he obviously knows what a human body should look like, but it's his human body that he wants to portray. And I think that's a differentiator. It's consistent. Yeah. That's why it's yeah, the consistency yes, absolutely. that makes it. It's like, absolutely. Oh, this is a choice, you know? Right. It's not a, a JR, JR doing that, uh, Spider-Man with that's, the, doing the stanky leg on that cover. The stanky leg. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But yeah. Batman does a lot of stanky things in this in this book, but, but it's because of the form of, of Tim Sale in it. Yeah. Um, I believe that I heard Jeff Loeb uh, say that one of the things he complimented Tim Sale on when he first met him was the way that he draws ugly characters that he that he draws his that his characters are a bit ugly. Yeah. Um, and I think what he's saying with that, and, and what I agree with in that statement, if it's what he meant, is that it adds character. Mm. Um, these are not necessarily always perfect looking people and their, their faces and their bodies are telling story. Tim Sale's Joker. Every time I read this book, Tim Sale's Joker 
goes higher and higher in my all-time favorite Joker designs. Um, yeah. Just those teeth, man. That's yeah. Uh, it's the hair for me. The little like swirls sure, yeah. and mess. But the teeth feel like um, what is it? Uh, uh, the the pit or no? Uh, Max from Image is it? Uh, oh, the yeah. Max. The Max, yeah. yeah. Like just those like protruding, almost has a bit of the mask too in them. Mm-hmm. Um, it's that's where it's well, like oh, I feel I, I can tell this book was made in the nineties, but it's in a, a good way. It's also, like um, the Grinch. Like I know, yeah. I know Loeb distinctly like you know quotes from that rips that off, but like so much of what Tim Sale does, especially with the villains, is they all look like some Grinch form, you know, through the art and stuff. Tim Curry, Doctor Seuss type thing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, I want to say before we jump into like my first topic that if you guys are watching this live and you want to be a part of the conversation stick around because when we reach the end of our portion we're turning it over to you and we want to have a talk back um and we're prioritizing you know super chats are open so if you guys want to send your questions through that that's super appreciated channel memberships are open as well so all of our channel members we appreciate you guys being here if you want to be a part of that click the join button that's there present on this video right now uh, and uh, you can be a VI pal. So I believe in Gotham City. Great opener. That, sorry? Great opener. Yes, right? That is how um, Bruce opens the book. That's like the first line of dialogue. And then we see Jim Gordon say that again later on. Um, and characters' beliefs, the things that they believe in, are very critical. I think every primary character, at some point or another, makes a statement on what it is that they believe. But the three primary characters whose belief in Gotham is sort of our POV are Jim Gordon, Batman, and Harvey Dent. And their relationship is at the core of this story. These are three men who are just sick and tired of the way that things go down in Gotham. They're sick of the stranglehold that gangland mafia you know, crime has on Gotham and they intend to bust it up, Hmm. but they can't trust anybody else. They're the only people that they can trust. You know, Harvey's the DA. Jim Gordon is a cop and Batman is a psychotic vigilante dressing up to beat up, you know, criminals, the scourge of the mentally ill homeless. Yeah. And this, and this is, this is the team that's coming together to stop organized crime. What I like about that is Gordon's the anchor. It's not bad. It's not. It's not Bruce. It's not um, Harvey. They're the characters and the major players. But Gordon's the one who's like in the middle that says, "Actually, I have somebody for you to meet." Oh, I have somebody for you to meet because I think he's the one that like helps to instigate and start this. Um, where the other two are, are uh, rightfully so fed up and trust Gordon to introduce them and have them trust each other. I think that's a, a really important moment in that first issue to allow them because because otherwise, you know, like uh, I don't know that Harvey would necessarily agree with um, uh, with Batman out the gate. I think he'd have to like really figure out whether or not he was altruistic. Um, Bruce was a little skeptical of um, Harvey. And so they needed somebody that they both trusted to bring them together to unite the forces. 
That's interesting because I feel like um, Bruce is very trusting of Hart. I think he, I think he likes his ideals, but I don't know if he's like, is he willing to go the take the steps that that they need to take until they start to. I always felt like Bruce viewed Harvey as the the idealistic version of Gotham that he was striving for. Yes, he's Gotham's like, this is my guy. replacement, really. Yes, um, and this guy's doing it right. Um, and having heart like like Jim and 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 Batman are very set in their ways and what they do, and they can't really move out of it because they are archetypal. Whereas Harvey now kind of gets to play around a bit and seeing the other two react to how he devolves, I guess evolves, however you want to put it, um, is probably. I mean, it's really the main driving factor throughout the book, but uh, I think it's great. Especially post year one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what's what interests me a lot is that I, I actually feel like Bruce is a synthesis of Jim Gordon and Harvey Dent. Yeah. They're on opposite sides of the spectrum, and Batman is the one that's in the middle because Jim is by the book 100%. Everything has to be done by the law. Harvey doesn't feel that way he feels like the ends justify the means and also if you're doing something that's illegal but you're doing it doing it against a criminal it's okay batman says in, in his narration pretty early when jim tells him we have to follow the law he says my mission is to be uncompromised but i'll i'll follow along for now so he's more inclined in his mind to be like Harvey. To t- he literally is. He commits crimes. Um, his being is a crime. Exactly. His very existence is a crime. But what I think makes it so interesting um, is that Batman doesn't accept Harvey's inclinations toward thinking about doing illegal things. But I don't think it's because they're illegal. Um I think it's because Batman's sense of justice exists beyond the law and it includes honor. And so, for example, when Harvey suggests that they could steal the money before they burn it, Batman says no. And it's not because it's illegal that he says no. It's because it's not an honorable thing to do that he says no. Harvey doesn't have that sense because he's a lawyer. So, lawyers, are, lawyers are people too, Kale. Bad people. I I argue that Harvey is not. It's not that he's not honorable; it's that he's masking his lack of honor, and he's almost waiting for someone to say, "Yeah, let's do that." Like if if Batman was like, "Yeah, we should take that money," I think yeah. he might do it. Yeah, there were several times, especially with Gordon, that he you know, uh, he floated the idea of offing some people or whatever and um gordon was like absolutely not that's not what Mm. we're doing i also think it's because batman views harvey as like an ideal in 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 any way he can help mold that in a way as well too Uh, he's gonna Mm. take it yeah uh it is if we were two other guys but i think if i mean if you read that i don't think you're meant to read it divorcing it from the two individuals that are having the conversation. Harvey is implying 
that they could get they could get rich off of this if if they didn't have those 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 morals those values right exactly but i think but i contend if batman said yeah let's get this money that harvey would say okay and i think that's why yeah. batman admonishes him for saying that because he sees and it's not he's not the only person and this is the only time where harvey's honor is questioned as kale pointed out that's a problem that gordon has with him too so he's i'm i'm here to say i don't think that harvey is an honorable person if the chips are down but yeah. go ahead sorry i like like he needs to get pushed to that I, I i would argue he needs to get pushed to that threshold but he would be willing to cross a line as opposed to gordon where he can get pushed to it but he that the the line is always the limit it will never be exceeded where um for gordon right for gordon right, right i think that's what i was saying yeah i'm agreeing yeah i'm agreeing yeah um so but in that yeah jim gordon is the one that is completely incorruptible um if you if you agree that the law represents what is correct because he's the only one that won't step outside of the law and i love that this book forces you to ask that because batman steps out of the law 100% of the time Jim Gordon never does. Harvey wants to. And then once he gets turned into Two-Face, once once he has that push that Marco mentioned before, it's all fair game now. And I don't read this book, and I'm curious if you guys think this. I don't read this as saying that Harvey has now lost some of his, like, um, lost his mind a little bit. I don't think that he is now suffering from mental illness. I think that he makes a decision that he's not going to play by the rules anymore because when he did, it got his house burned, uh, exploded, and his face rotted with acid. Yeah, and I, I think, I think even like, even before he's two faced like I think all of the things he thinks. Like even, you know, taking some of the money, I think, you know, you use the word admonish, you know, Batman admonishes him. I mean, I think that's, I feel like that's too strong. Like I read it as Batman's like, uh, that's a, a, a totally human response, but we can't do that. Hmm. You know, like, I, I feel like both, both Gordon and Batman are like, like there's a level where you're right, but you know, it's a it's a human thought. Get it out of your head. Hmm. Okay. Um. I I just I think I think that that triumvirate relationship is so. Like the fact that we've seen it explored in the in the Dark Knight, and it brought light to this. It's all right here. This is this is incredible stuff. Um, and I love the way that that Loeb is playing with identity here and playing with morality and justice. That's always at the core of Batman stories, but I think it comes out more when you're talking about Two-Face because he's lived in both worlds. Um, and because like in this book, 
you know, he does represent an aspect of Batman's character. And to, to bring it back to what you mentioned, Sean, the whole uh, I believe in Gotham thing that, you know, starts the book. Um, and then Gotham essentially being the one that betrays Bruce and is what eventually does break down Harvey and turn him into Two-Face. It's, it's the collective weight of everything that's wrong with Gotham turns the shining beacon of Harvey Dent into Two-Face. And there's that, that whole, um, I, I guess, turn for him. It's just a. It's, it's emblematic of what Gotham can do to people, and almost how fruitless Batman's, I guess, crusade is. Um, that that's a that's an interesting point. Um, a little cynical, it, but well, it in a way it is, and in a way it isn't. So, um, I want to shift gears because another thing that this book is. So this is very much a year two book, mm-hmm. and. In year one, the only villains are regular criminals and corrupt cops. This book, The Long Halloween, shows us the changing seasons. And one of the seasons that's changing is crime. Mm. Because the book is showing us the end of organized crime as a force in Gotham. Uh, Because Batman's ability to pursue criminals outside of the boundaries of the law is so potent and the fact that he doesn't have a public persona to exploit means that the the organized criminals are impotent against him he is their apex predator they cannot deal with him with and what he represents it's interesting and, and their reaction to try and deal with him is hiring freaks right. really in all the rogues gallery and just using the issues to, to introduce essentially almost like a monster of a week, Buffy style, uh, which each yeah. issue was like, all right, this one, I always forget poison Ivy's in this book every time I read it. And it's, it's like another surprise for me. I'm like, Oh yeah, she's in this. Um, but showing how like this really is year two, the mob doesn't really do anything anymore. It's, it's these freaks and these villains that are really the control point of Gotham. And there's that one bit where, Gordon and, and Batman are in Arkham, and Gordon says something like, uh, there's a lot more people in here now that you started. And then yeah. Batman's like, are you implying that I'm the cause of all this? And then they drop it. But I think it's just like a great bit there that, that it's just, it, it's it's dropped perfectly instead of them going too far with that idea because I don't think that's something Gordon ever wants to explicitly state. And I, I think to that, it even ties into the dynamic with Dent where like had had Bruce not been had Batman not been brought in I don't think Dent would have gotten to the point where he was okay with letting loose uh, like bending being more bendable with some of those rules um and one of the questions that I thought of was like like had Batman not done this he'd probably continue to be the DA he'd get harassed maybe to a lesser degree because he wasn't getting as close because that crime fighting would not have been as effective but uh, Batman's involvement leads and lends to Dent becoming Two Face, both in, or actually largely in, in uh, ideology, I would say. He has his morals, but Batman being there and being above the law, and like even in the first issue, getting access to the um, uh, the, the, the the logs, ledger. yeah, the ledger, like that would not have been accessible otherwise that gives and maybe emboldens Dent to some degree. 
and I wonder to what degree Batman's inclusion further emboldened him until ultimately he snapped and made that decision to actually I'm going to go down this path. It's a dense a microcosm of Gotham. It's you know right. blue collar into a full on villain. You know a comic book villain, um, and I like how that growth is really just reflected in Gotham. You know behind the scenes. I think that Den is on the path to Two-Face either way. And I have always... Two-Face is my favorite DC character. And the tragedy of Two-Face is that he's a good guy, ultimately, who is flawed, that just can't handle what is happening. Um, And that's very normal. He's a normal guy. And Gotham it fucking sucks. Well, okay. And so... I posit then, Sean. Uh, without Batman and without villains changing the landscape of things. Uh, because I, I'd, I'd argue if Batman didn't exist, neither would the rogues gallery. So, do you still feel like if Batman wasn't around, Two-Face would still exist? I think if Two-Face is a manifestation of the dark aspect of, of Harvey's personality, which theoretically exists in every living person to some degree, then yes, I think Two-Face would still exist. Mm. But I think he either he either would exist in dense corruption mm. or his death. Right, yeah. Maybe it doesn't manifest with him having half his face burned, but yeah. the, the characteristics of Two-Face exist in Harvey. Mm. I mean, as we see in this, Harvey was doing stuff behind the scenes even before he was Two-Faced. Exactly. So, yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and, and I like that, that that like it's not wrong to have flaws. Mm. What happens to Harvey is tragic in my mind because he gets pushed beyond what he can handle. And that's a human failing, but it's not a character flaw. It's just what happened to him. I think Jim Gordon just doesn't have that hole. But is he a better human being because he doesn't? You know, I don't think Harvey chooses to be this way. I would I would say Jim has that hole. It's just with his family, not necessarily himself. But that this book doesn't tackle that part of it. I meant the, the hole that needs the hole that welcomes in Two Face. Fair, fair. And it's also not Jim Gordon's face that gets burned <laughs> with acid. But I don't think it changes Gordon, to your point, like on the characteristics. I don't think it'll change Gordon's ultimate person, who who he who he is and identifies as, as opposed to Dent, because he already has some of those inclinations. Yeah, I, I agree with that. But it also just isn't it, it just isn't Jim Gordon's faith that gets sure. burned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Harvey's the one that suffers the most for the actions that the three of them agreed to take. Mm. Yeah. So it's no surprise that he's also the one that falls the furthest away from who he was at the beginning, um, even though those negative characteristics were there. Sure. Uh, speaking of the villains, though, because we talked about how super crime is introduced, um, you know, throughout the long Halloween, we get a lot. We get Joker, Poison Ivy, Mad Hatter, Solomon Grundy, Catwoman, Scarecrow, and the Riddler. Did I miss any? That's seven. Give me three more. You said you said Mad Hatter, right? Yeah. Okay. I lost track. I, th- I think 
I think it's those seven. Uh, if I missed any, feel free to let me know. Um, and yeah, they're running amok. And it's fun to watch, you know, to watch the way that Batman interacts with them. I read this feeling like Batman has almost more disdain for organized mob crime than he does the new super crime that erupted. Like he's particularly yeah. pissed about organized crime. Well, I think that's because that's the direct tie to what happened to his parents. Yeah. Right. You know, it's a more crime. personal thing there. Meanwhile, he's just in love with the Joker. That's a separate thesis. We won't talk about that. <laughs> um, how do you, yeah, how do you guys feel about the the villain's use here? Great. Yeah. I think it's fun that um each issue is basically an exploration of a different villain. I sort of the you know the um the the way the plot breaks out like poison ivy takes over bruce wayne you know over two issues yeah. you know and then catwoman comes to his rescue etc cetera, etc cetera. um so theoretically gotham was out batman for a month mm. that's oh. cr- that's crazy <laughs> I didn't. Yeah, I didn't consider that. And I think I think that happens. Oh yeah, because he goes to jail uh, on Mother's Day, and he's released her on Father's Day too. Hmm. Right. It's a wild Memorial Day weekend, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. We, I just I, I that really struck me this time. It was just like these these. This is like three months without Batman, and all these people are just running around. Uh, this is bad news. <laughs> right. And the book doesn't is not overly concerned with that, I feel like. No. But that is still a good point, and I, th- I wish it was a little more concerned with that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and I think it's just, you know, it's part of the, the structure of the, you know, the theme, yeah. which is fine. Um, it just yeah, – it was one of the, the couple of things that had, had me going, well, wait a second. <laughs> Poison Ivy goes on to – uh, take over or mind control Superman in Hush. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, it's funny that Loeb kind of Loeb kind of repeats himself uh, with certain things, but I I enjoyed that part here because that is sh- that helps to further cement the idea that the mob is just impotent now. They can't get their money laundered. They cannot get it into the bank. So they mm. need to use Poison Ivy to help them convince Bruce through mind control to allow that to happen. But without that, they can't do anything. And they get all their money burned up. It's almost fun reading this and watching how crappy the mob are and how Batman just stomps all over them. And how desperate they become, too. And then they start yeah. turning on each other. It's just they're not equipped for what Gotham's becoming. Well, and I, I was gonna I wasn't sure where to bring this up, and maybe it's not here, but um have you guys all seen it? I know Tyler has. Have you guys seen the god the Godfather? I actually haven't. Not completely. There is it that one page where he's cutting tomatoes? You... Dog, it's the whole book. Yeah. Yes. This whole book is the Godfather, but with Batman. There's direct lines, right? You can act like a man 
is from The Godfather, I think. And then there was one other one that I caught. Not, having not seen the movie, I just have <laughs> like, to um, it's the it's the opener. It's uh it's Falcone. It's uh Alber- uh Alberto. Yeah. Um, ending up being a holiday. Like it's there's so much Godfather in this book that it actually drove me a little bit crazy. Well, one of the reasons why Loeb agreed to do the project was because he was turned on by the idea of getting to do a gangster story, which. Yeah was all the rage you know in the 80s and and whatnot so uh that makes sense now i really wanted to talk about identity and the power of masks because i think that there's a lot of stuff in this book that's talking about that um and i never really heard this when hearing the long halloween discussed so in this book, I feel like the characters that have an identity that is not um, forward all have a significant advantage over the ones that, that do. So, for example, one of the reasons why the mob is so impotent is because they're easy to catch. If... If it wasn't for the fact that they have the judges and they have, you know, oh, you got to catch me doing a crime specifically. If it wasn't for the fact that they know how to warp the law to their favor, they would get caught just like every other petty villain. But because Batman doesn't care about the law, he cares about justice. He can snatch them up easily. He knows who they are and he can get Batman cannot solve the crime of the of the holiday murders. No one can because the person who it is has a secret identity. Even at the end of the book, by the end, when everything is said and done, only one person, maybe you could argue two, know who the other holiday killer was. Because yes, we know Alberto is captured and he's caught because Batman puts on another disguise to catch him. But Gilda is never caught. Captain, uh, Captain, Calendar Man knows. Maybe Harvey knows, but that's it. Okay, so this is where the ending, I think, comes up. Because I don't know where to bring up the ending, because Harvey's the other holiday killer. There are three holiday killers. Wait, what? So (laughs) the same way, the same way that it's Bru- it's Batman. Oh, oh, right. right Jim and Harvey. Right, right. Okay. It's Gil- Gilda, Alberto, right. and Two Face. So Two Face is a- is a part of both of those groups of three, or Harvey Two Face, I guess. Right. Because Harvey kills J- on on a holiday. Right, right, right. So, so technically, there were only like who did the murders leading up to prior to leading up to uh, whoever Harvey kills. Yes. Right. Hmm. I do have a question on that, actually. Because there is a little bit of debate on the ending. Because uh, Gilda does say outright that Harvey took over after New Year's for her killings. Because the holiday... she believes. Yeah, because, well, there was also that one one shot that came out, like, two years ago. Um that like continued this with Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale. Well, yeah, which 
That's like fan. I don't know if that's canon. I don't know what it is, but just yeah. Yeah. And so with the idea of the holiday killer being Gilda and Harvey's child is a thing. And that even though Harvey hmm. wasn't two face, he was still doing those killings post new year's day, all going all the way up to the second Halloween. And just doing that helped drive him to becoming two face as well. Cause there was the hat that she found, which was the one he would have ditched when he, left the boat like there was a silhouette of the holiday killer leaving the boat on like a little speedboat there yeah yep. so that was harvey um but then is it is it is it alberto it's i i like the the obtuse nature of the ending because every time i read this book i'm like well mm, huh, mm, you know i found it kind of messy i don't like you know i think it's i think it works for what it's doing and it wraps it up fairly neatly you know with alberto in jail harvey's two-faced now and gilda nobody knows about but i think for the reader i i feel like the knots aren't clear enough mm-hmm. I, I i would agree because there's calendar man somehow knows out the gate there are two seemingly prior to there being two like he he continues to reference she and he and he'll flip back and forth between those things i think that was one of the the pieces that would confuse me and then once i got to the end I'm like okay that's right that's why he was using she but um i think there wasn't there wouldn't have been something to dictate that i think or at the very least, maybe that needed to be a bit more obvious to help distinguish that there are two and we need to be looking for two and to get us to think about those things. Because I think at the end, it was just kind of, oh, it felt out of uh, convenience that Gilda was the one who started and Alberto kept going, even though Alberto was one of the victims. It, it did feel a little messy, at least on, on the reread. I've never found this to be messy. I think the lack of clarity is part of the point. I think that the story is about identity and it is about masks. And the same way that no one can say who Batman is, and there's a lot of speculation about that. Jim says he thought Harvey was Batman. Um, No one exactly knows who Holiday was. Just the same way that we're talking about how there could have been three murders, there could be three people as Batman. Who would know the difference? Even at some point, Harvey says to to uh, Batman, uh, it must be really hard for you to live two lives, if you even live two lives, in reference to the idea that he might not have another persona, that Batman might be all that there is. And so the questions around the identity and the knowledge of who a person is are as tied to Batman as they are the holiday killer. And we don't, we, the reader know about Batman, but no one will ultimately know about holiday. Not even us. Although we get to know something in that case that no one else knows, which is that Gilda was doing. And there's also like storyline wise, there's a clear shift in motive after new year's day too. 
that everything post New Year's Day is like uh, in the benefit of the. I always forget which which family uh, Alberto was part of. Falcons. Yeah. Yeah. The Falcons narrowly. What the fuck? <laughs> OMAC is activated. <laughs> Do it again. Do it again. But even at some point, you know, they're convinced that it is Harvey. They're convinced that it's Bruce Wayne. Um, you know, the mystery goes a lot of different places. And ultimately, there there really can't be a concrete answer. I think that part's fun. Like having to play the guessing game alongside everybody. Because the, there are definitely moments where even as the reader, you're like, ah, shit, is it Harvey? Did he already like turn and his then devolvement into Harvey or into two faces, just an extension. Like there's a, there's a lot there for, at least for, for uh, the mystery aspect of it um, and how it plays with what you know about the characters. So I think from that perspective, it's effective. It's effective in building suspense and also how it addresses and acknowledges the individual characteristics of each of our characters. I also like how uh, this was, came out in 96, right? The book? Yeah. Uh, 95 was when Usual Suspects came out. So, like, that whole idea of, like, whodunits at the time is, is mm-hmm. great with, like, a, a surprise twist at the end. Um, but, like, one, one of my favorite bits in the whole story is the April issue with Riddler. Like, even the Riddler, who's supposed to be the smartest guy in Gotham, is stumped by this, you know, <laughs> uh, where he becomes a joke, quite literally, by the end of that issue. Oh, doesn't he technically know who it is? I think he has, or or, no, either knows enough to not say anything, right? Or is so involved in it that he can't pinpoint it. Hmm. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't remember if he ultimately knows or not. I think that's left hanging up in the air. Yeah, he like doesn't mention it, but uh, but he's there and he's present for the moment, but. Jeff Loeb talked about how, you know, in relationship to the ending, he actually um, had his editor read the book without knowing or read the scripts without knowing who Holiday would be because he wanted to see if the twist would work at the end if you were the reader and you didn't know who Holiday was until the end. And he said that, you know, in, in this case, it's not. It's not like, oh, hey, it was a ghost that did it. You know, that you can say, you can tell your audience, hey, uh, this character came back from the dead, allegedly. You saw, you, you thought you saw them dead, but they weren't really dead. Or it was this character that you didn't suspect, but they really were the ones that did it. You can get away with that. But what you can't get away with is saying, oh, this was a, this was a ghost or this was something outside of what the story has established and set up. So I think... From that standpoint, even though we don't ultimately know every single thing, there's nothing here that's that feels out of left field or out of the blue. It all feels within the boundaries of the story. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I'd agree with that. So one thing that kind of bugs me on reread is that Harvey is introduced as Two-Face, but nothing really happens with that. Like, he kills some people. He says, all right, take me to jail. And then that's that. Um, 
we don't really get to see how that resolves until Dark Victory, which is also fantastic. But I kind of wish that this had a more of a closed ending. With Harvey specific, or with Two Face specifically, yeah, where he's defeated versus not, I guess. Um, yeah, I guess it depends on, you know, what you mean by defeated, you know, uh, because he does have his tragic fall and he, you know, he, he pays for it. Mm. Um, you know, he doesn't get knocked out, but he goes to jail, you know, uh, choice. Sure. You know, but that, but that shows that, you know, Harvey's still in there, which makes it, which makes it more tragic. And I think that bit where he kind of turns himself in and there's that that panel with the three of them. It's like looking yeah. from underneath them um, just to show how different they've the, the, the dynamic is now. And mm-hmm. I think that mm-hmm. Harvey kind of going out, even like well, Two-Face going out with a, a whimper really is almost more impactful <laughs> than if he just went full villain and Batman had to take him down. Throw a bunch of coins in the air for him to oh, yeah. oh my God, fall down a lighthouse. I love Batman Forever. Okay, but I, I don't think he went out. In I think he was he was vindicated. He killed Falcone, and then like what else does he need? That 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 was he was trying to put him away by the book for for Gordon, but he got his comeuppance, and I think that that's what uh, Two Face unlocked for Dent. Dent wasn't maybe going to kill him outright to stop his reign of terror and crime, but uh, Two-Face will, and he'll help him get to that, uh, get to that end. So like at that point, it's like, yeah, like I did what I set out to do from the start, which was to stop Falcone. It just wasn't the way that I initially wanted to. So for me, getting arrested made sense. He's just like, I did the thing. Hey, that's it. And it wasn't by the way we agreed. Lock me up. Take the L by taking the W. That's fair. Jim Gordon says that when Batman asked him, was it worth it? Jim Gordon says, do you mean that Gotham is safer or whatever? And he says in that in that sense, yes. Um, was it worth the price? We'll see. Mm-hmm. And I actually don't agree with Jim Gordon. Because while, yes, organized crime, the mob is pretty much stomped out by the end. All the major players are dead. That was only supplanted by super crime. So I don't really feel like Gotham is any safer at all. I mean, it's it's literally safer in the sense that Falcone is gone and all those people are gone. But the Joker is going to do worse. I mean, we'll see if he does. What do you mean? We'll see if he does. Like, like that. I feel like that's Jim's gamble. Is we'll we'll see. Like, we we stopped one crime, and you know, I we can we say that we saved a day. I don't think so. But maybe maybe in not his lifetime, not in Bruce's lifetime, and not in Joker's lifetime, maybe they did something small that affected the longevity of Gotham. Gotham doesn't uh, measure its life in decades it measures it's in in centuries nah they took an l (laughs) (laughs) that was a nice soliloquy marco but i mean jim gordon says we're you know we're safer not 
in a century, but in now. And well, that's just not true. What what he says is, uh, you know, if, if you're asking me, did the good guys win? Yes, the good guys won. But was it worth it? I don't know and won't for a very long time. I guess they, they accomplished their stated goal of stopping the mob. Yeah. But I what I'm saying is that I don't think that that is – I don't know that that's the same thing as winning in this case. No, and I think I think that's what Gordon is also saying with his aside as Batman leaves. Mm-hmm. Was it worth it? I don't know, and I'm not going to know for a very long time. Until year three. <laughs> yeah, of course. So you win, win a battle, uh, potentially lose the war. Right. I also think Dark Victory, well, Dark Victory kind of um, is a little bit more yeah. like it ends in a way. If I haven't read it in years, but I'm pretty sure I've never read it. I don't even know what it's about, honestly. Oh, you should yeah. do that. You should definitely. I, do that. I almost read it right after this. Yeah, I was going to it. Um, but it's pretty, it's like pretty hopeful. Yeah. But we see that things do, in fact, kind of, you know, get bad again. Um, so, yeah, it is kind of the end of an era of a certain yeah. kind of crime in Gotham. Yeah, and I, I think you're, I think you're, you know, obviously us looking at it as like, yes, obviously they, they, things are going to get worse but i think i think and you could argue this is sort of the problem with batman is that this you know his his one solution is to beat these bad guys up and lock them up um and that's it like really that's all he can do and so each time he does it yeah and you know don't think about this too hard each time he does it his his thing is okay move on to the next one they're locked up they're put away that's it and that's his solution his idea is that they're done they're done with this eventually they'll all be locked up and i can go home so you know i think i think i i, I guess what i'm saying is i don't think batman and gordon and foresee what comes. There. Which is funny. I agree with you, but it's funny because that shot of all the villains in in Falcone's uh, office. Mm. That's a that paints a dark picture of their future. But Batman stops them then. So when even even the Joker trying to fly a plane into you know Gotham City on New Year's Day or whatever, like. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy as hell. Wacky. Looking Love like it. Freaky Fred from Kurt's Cowardly Dog, too. Oh. And I feel... Oh, this was a question I wanted to ask you guys. Do you guys think that Alberto was lying? Do you think that he was making up being Holiday in order to uh, get his father's attention or whatever, or to be a part of this club? Or do you think that he was really doing these murders? I, I think that theory works, except how do you explain the fake death? 
I think the whole fake death of Alberto, that's where it gets murky about who's who did what. Um, because it could be Harvey that, you know, thought he killed Alberto or whatever. Um, and then did all those killings. Or it could have been um, Alberto taking over the mantle and then doing the killings in the two, I guess, both evolve as a criminal, probably seeing from the background that, you know, like a, the, the way my dad's doing it isn't working anymore. I have to become a mask, you know, um, mm. and then becoming that. Um, or he was just taking credit. Yeah. I think that's where it's like interpretation a bit. I think it's both. Which? Both. He, you know, he did one or two with the idea of you know, I'm going to show my dad I'm better than this. It's, you know, the same story again as the Godfather, you know, Al Pacino coming up through the ranks to do, uh, you know, to become the Godfather. Um, and I, I, I think he also takes credit for what Harvey and Gilda do. Interesting. Um, I think he gets inspired. I, I think initially he's shut down. He wants to participate, but as he continually gets shut down, he sees this person take up a like mantle in or similar to um, Calendar Man. Gets a gimmick, sees one or two of the killings, then decides, wait, if I uh, fake my death as a victim, I can do this in the background free of any kind of uh, purview. And then I'm going to pop up and be like, look, I was the one who did these things. Um, I think he got inspired first with uh, Gilda doing all the killings, and then he picked it up. I've actually never believed that Harvey was doing any of the killings. I agree with that. Um, I have only ever believed it was Gilda first and then Alberto joined on. Uh, I feel like that's supported. Um, I think Alberto, the same way that Harvey turning into Two-Face is, is speaking to the, you know, the power of masks and identity, you know, Two-Face, Two-Face is a supervillain, but he's not the same thing as, like, uh, the Joker or Poison Ivy or whoever. They have whoever they are. Two-Face is always that, and he cannot hide that. Um, he's Two-Face and Harvey at the same time. I think that he represents that, and Alberto is also representing the changing seasons. He goes from being a mob... Well, he's not even a mobster, but a wannabe mobster to a supervillain. If by supervillain we mean a villain who uses a, a, a mass identity to commit crime. Hmm. Um, either way, I love the fact that you can speculate about the ending. I think that gives it a little bit of longevity. Yeah. The ability to interpret. Yeah. So let's talk about Tim Sale's art a little bit more because... It's well, I know that it's not unanimous here that we all agree that it was great. At least it seems like Kale has a an alternative perspective. I think I th I think it's great. I have problems with it. <laughs> like I don't think you get to be Tim Sale and it not be great. 
but uh, I'll say it. I hate his Batman. Oh, <gasps> wow. What? I really don't like the way he draws Batman. Is it where the the eyes are too close to the nose? Like they're almost parallel. It's the it's the round mouth. It's like a it's like the bad um, Dark Knight action figures. The bodega ones. Well, just the ones that you know they they came out and they couldn't quite get the the mouth right, so it was always a circle. That just drives me nuts. See, I I love Tim Sale's art in this. I think the the way Tim Sale kind of uses shadows and black as negative space mm-hmm. is insane. Um, like that 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 is the form of everything in the book. It is shaped by shadow. Um, you get it. I mean, it's emblematic with the first page and the final page. You know, Bruce and Gilda. Um, and, you know, typically you would have actual negative space or like white space or something like that. Uh, this book is not that it's all, it's, it's the color is filled in to then fill in that negative space that the black kind of gives out in it. Um, I, it's gorgeous. Who, uh, who is the colorist? Sean, do you have that on you? Uh, Gregory Wright. Gregory Wright. Yes, yes, yes. I just, I just flipped back to look at that too. Um, have you guys seen the um, the artist edition, the black and white? Um... Oh no, yeah, I haven't either. Oh, okay, <laughs> that must be that'd be wild. I, well, I was asking because it's been out a while, so I didn't know. And you guys are all. I wonder if that would take take away from the uh, the actual purposeful black and white pages, you know? Um, oh, interesting. Because I think the act the, the black and white kill pages um, stick well, out so more, much more because they're, they're more, in black and white. They're more gray. Sure, sure, but but the fact that like um sometimes there will be like the calling card or whatever for the holiday in there that's in color. Um, I wonder if that would just take away from the storytelling of it all if it's all in black and white. This is a beefy ass Batman. Word. My man is meaty. Dude's got he's got abs on his arms, like. I love that version of Batman. I don't know how other people feel about it. It's very 90s, I guess, but he's just super big. And seeing him beating the shit out of these mobsters, I got satisfaction when I saw him like punch them or, you know, anything of that nature. Just this big tank of a man running around Gotham mowing everybody down. Yes, I guess I like my Batman a little more athletic as opposed to you know tanky i do too i just happen to feel that it fits this story that he be such a hulk because he yeah. is omnipotent in this book like there's there's yeah. nothing stopping batman at his force of nature yeah. yeah yeah the 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 panels where it's just his fist yep. going into you know like the the that's incredible yeah i think and i think batman is actually used interestingly in this book because to me He's a similar force of nature to the Holiday Killer. Mm-hmm. Like, the Holiday Killer is not stoppable until their mission is complete. Batman is not stoppable until the mission is complete. Neither one of them have exploitable identities. Um, I just think Batman's just a more physical. He just does his thing more physically, which is why he's huge. Whereas Holiday is a sleek, you know, you know, noirish killer. 
it's funny, like in my book, uh, where the crease is the most is the uh, Batman Catwoman fight, which I think really shows off Tim Sale's Batman. Like, I think it's always interesting how artists decide to do Batman's cape. And there's that one page, and if you're, if you're listening to this, apologies, uh, but there's that one page where Batman's cape is just dragging on the floor as he's approaching Catwoman and, and the crime people are barging in on the door. Um, oh, it's, just, it's just real good, good Batman comics. For me, it's the, uh, the thin lines. There are, mm. there are a lot of moments where the, the blacks are, are, can be thick or the, the blacks can be a bit more prominent in the actual inking in the line, but then there are moments on the body that help to provide shape and figure, and those are like smaller gray lines um, within the arms, the muscles. So I, I appreciate the, the use of that because all of this stuff, and I can only imagine what that black and white book looks like, is just a collection and series of interconnecting or just open lines because of the use of color. Or, or rather because of the heavy use of shadow. You don't actually need to fill th- things in or define things because uh, they're going to get colored in with a pretty... There's some tones, but I think otherwise it's pretty flat coloring overall. So why do you need to why do you need to detail if you're going to get it when you combine the heavy ink with uh, a thinner gray and just a flat color? It's incredible use of just space. It's almost like printmaking in a way. Yeah, yep. Oh yeah, where you have to like layer things in the in the composition of it all. I love it, man. It's it's so so good. And to the earlier pieces on like the shape, that's that I think is the the harder part to swallow because I know his head should not be tilting that way. I know his arm should not be angled in a certain direction, uh, but I you kind of swallow it because it's like, well, damn, it fits It fits what he's going for at large, even if in that moment, stop, Tyler. <laughs> I'm going to walk right by it, but you, uh, and um, it, it works for the, for the composition at large, but when you break down the individual components, it feels like you're stitching together certain pieces because it's so disconnected because of those inks. It really is a beautiful comic. And, you know, I want to say um, we actually lost Tim Sale. Uh, Tim Sale did pass last year on my birthday, actually, June 16th, which is terrible. I didn't realize Oof. that. Happy but, birthday. Um, yeah, right. Um, an absolutely incredible artist who I think uh, most people would probably say did his best work with Jeff Loeb. And mm. one of the things that uh, Jeff Loeb recently did an interview on Word Balloon with John Cintras, and um, one of the things that was very evident from that interview was how much Jeff Loeb really loved Tim Sale and just how good of a working relationship they had. Their working relationship was so good that when they did their initial project together, the Legends of the Dark Knight uh, series, they would lay the whole book out on the phone. And so when it came time for the editor to, to say like, okay, so where's the script? Jeff Loeb was like, I don't have a script. I, I, we worked on it on the phone. There's no script. We, we, he, he drew it, he laid it out. And then I, I added the words and that was it. And he said, well, I can't pay you. If there's no script, you can't get paid. And so they had to 
he would they would lay it out on the phone and then Jeff would have to go and like write, you know, oh, close up on Batman, even though it was already drawn and everything else, just so that he could get paid. Wild. Yeah, but their their relationship was incredible. Uh Tim only wanted to draw certain things and he was lucky enough to be in a position to be choosy. And Jeff and him, you know, they chose projects that they mutually loved and and they were able to have a, a very successful career together. Yeah. I think this is my favorite uh, Tim Sale book, visually. Ooh. That's is a he... Spider-Man Blue. They're both up there for me. I think, I think visually, visually, it's probably this and Dark Victory. Yeah. Mm. I've only read the two. Batman aside. So it'd be this. Ooh, I'd have to look back at blue, actually. Damn, I don't know. That's exactly what I was thinking. Damn, I don't actually know. Never mind. I rescind my comment. I mean, there's also Superman for all seasons, which is some great sale. Uh, yeah. I feel like there's I feel like there's more variety in this. I feel like he's really flexing some stuff here. Flexing whereas Batman, with, for sure. <laughs> well, whereas with blue and all seasons i don't feel like you know especially with the villains and stuff i feel like there's a lot more variety here than there is with blue and all seasons did you guys ever check out the long halloween follow-up special yeah it was like right uh sean you're muted i think um hello yeah you're good yeah. Um, we reviewed it Oh, this is pre-me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they they were still good in? then. In 21? Uh, I think so, yeah. The yeah, most recent thing, chapter 14 or whatever? Yeah. yeah. He, he still had it. Age, age had done some stuff. Sure. Yes. But there are some, like, panels in that, too, of, like, Calendar Man. That's just, like, exactly why I like Long Halloween. It's just, like in shadow but like you see this bald-headed weirdo just and kelly you really should have shaved your head to really stick to the costume. i would rather die <laughs> i will become two-faced before i shave my head do you understand me dude i pay to see that <laughs> you will you will pay out the ass to see that do you understand <laughs> it will not happen you can't afford it <laughs> hmm. i i so i'm on uh i have the infinite app up uh and i opened the issue just to remind myself what the follow-up one looked like it's a lot more cartoony definitely thicker lines uh, not of the same quality or caliber it's 30 years ago so like it's still good you know it still quintessentially was tim sale yeah yeah and this follow-up is quintessentially an aged uh, Tim Sale because not the same, not the same thing. I remember enjoying it. Quite frankly, I don't really remember what happened too much, but there was a conversation at that time about whether or not it was necessary and whether or not it would, um, you know, sully the legacy of the Long Halloween. And the only thing I know for sure is that I did not feel that it did that. It felt like it. There was supposed to be more. Is sort of the vibe I got from it. Um, there was. Okay, well, I was right. Yeah, unfortunately, we lost him. Yeah, 
Um, so yeah, so it's it's hard to say. It's not to say that it didn't matter that it you know shouldn't have been made or whatever, but you know it couldn't have added anything else because we didn't get the rest of it. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, it turns out I was on that show. <laughs> I was about to say, I'm like, hold on a second. It, that feels recent. It was, uh, we, we interviewed, uh, we reviewed that and Inferno number two. Okay. Well yeah. then. Yeah, there you go. That is uh, right in uh, the early days of Tyler. Um. So that's 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 it that's the long halloween um an incredible book i think for me i was struck most on this reread by two things one was all the 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 themes that i never caught before all the good stuff that law was doing um under the hood that it just never really crossed my mind i really tried to read this close um, and I got a lot out of it and, and it's, it's even more elevated now for me as a book, um, than it was before. Even when we did the top five, I, I think, what did I rank it at? I think I, I, I don't even remember what I ranked it as. Oh, I, I ranked it as number two. So there you go. I'm not too far out of the pocket. Um, but it, it really is absolutely incredible. Um, and so I was struck by that. Um, and, uh. Yeah, just a, just a stunningly good comic. The other thing I was struck by is the amount of things that are in here that were also in the the Dark Knight film and the Batman, like one to one stuff, the origins of certain things, like the burning of the money, uh, the freaks. You know, re- referring to uh, Batman and Joker as freaks in the movie ca- comes from here. So many things. Do you prefer Joker's? Uh disfiguring in this or or dark knight well i think the one in dark knight is thematically appropriate i don't know if that's what i want out of comic book joker but i think that one makes sense for the movie put a smile on my face so oh sorry i meant two-face not joker did i say joker oh two-face 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 yeah acid versus the oil yeah oh okay um that okay i like the 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 comic book version more i think the one from the movie is is cool and it, it gives them the double cross moment with joker but i mm-hmm. think the 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 one from the comic is narratively cleaner um and i think it, it's squarely focused on harvey yeah okay. i actually and i know you, you bag on it but i actually don't mind two-faces origin as shown in batman forever that was fine i don't bag yeah, on that i thought that, yeah. that that was good yeah yeah it's almost like uh, that that would be ninety five. This is ninety six. So it's very similar. Yeah. So go ahead, Kill. I was going to say I actually didn't like it as much this time around. Oh. I normally I find this uh this read like I said buttery smooth, um and I um had to put it down for a few minutes. I look at my phone and I just like it just it, it it bugged me this time. Um and I'm not sure what it was, but uh it just I just couldn't get into it the way I have before. Um so yeah, I don't know. You think it's the book or your ability to read? Like I don't mean that like <laughs> 
I am a <laughs> you know millennial. I mean? <laughs> I, and I was, admittedly, yeah. I was on Instagram. So like, yeah. you know, it's going. I was probably going. sending you stuff at the same time. My ability <laughs> to read is going. You're right. Because I've noticed that personally with myself. It's a little harder to read. Um, um, but, but yeah, and I just like this connection to the Godfather. Like, I just kept looking for it and kept putting it together. And it something. really took me out of it this time. That didn't change my opinion on it. It's still, where I put it, three, four or something. Still decent. Still decent. This is okay, yeah. <laughs> um, fine it, book. Still better than year one. See, I still think year one's better I, because I like how small year one is in comparison to this. Um, and also, Maz Kelly is like you know, just God, goat, goat level stuff. Um, but this is still like number two for me. Yeah, I still really, really love this book. Well, we want to hear from you all. So we promised that once our presentation was over, that we wanted to, to talk back with you guys. And so that's the, the moment is now. Uh, we want to hear what you guys have to say. We want to hear you know, your thoughts on the book, questions that you have for us about our thoughts on the book, or you know, lingering questions that you have that you want us to answer. Um, anything, anything like that, um, we're open to now. So if you guys want to run through the chat, if you saw any comments that are worth plucking out that would meaningfully add something. Yeah, yeah I do have, I have one. Yeah, okay, go, you go uh, first. Because we, we, we didn't talk about this. Uh, Roboters uh, in the chat says, uh, was wanting to ask how you feel about Selena being extremely tied to the Falcone family. Uh, that for all intents is, uh, that for all intents is in continuity. So she, she was just watching out, like she was basically scouting, right? Like that was her thing, and would only interfere with Batman. Well, Batman caught her every time. Yeah. Um, there's more revealed in Dark Victory, for okay. sure. Okay. And further explored in One in Rome. Yeah. Because that was a connection that I didn't quite understand how or why it kept popping up because she would just be there and I would just yeah. assume oh she's just trying to take some money is this tied into what happens with Catwoman and the Batman is that a similar dynamic um they it's not one to one okay if I recall yeah. I've not read the two follow-ups to this so this is a blind spot same. for me yeah. yeah same yeah boy I should we talk about it I, I, right. I actually know because I, I, I actually am interested in reading Dark Victory now. Okay. Yeah. I personally don't like it. I think it's one of those things that um, it's got that sort of chosen one vibe to it, you know, um, to me. And, you know, I haven't read Dark Victory in a while, um, but I, I, I don't like it. Um, but there is like a it makes sense in the story. I still don't like it. I didn't. I didn't have any problem with it. If we're evaluating that relationship from the perspective of the long Halloween, it's not an answered question. Um, but it's not for me. It just serves to add to the stack of things that Batman has to consider, mm. and who can he trust and not trust. And I just assumed that that was played for that. But obviously, you know, there's more to say with that when you get into Dark Victor and beyond. 
I did yeah, like... I, I do like it in Dark Victory for the exact reason Sean said. I'm curious if it explains the the scratch marks on Falcone's face because that opens the book and then Sophia gets it as well. It becomes like thematic. That was in year one, I believe. Oh, is that a car carryover from year one? I believe the scratch happens in year one, if I remember correctly. That sounds right to me. Yeah. Uh, Atomic Hound says, for me, the best movie portrayal based on the characters here was Gary Oldman's Jim Gordon. I can't separate them at all. Thoughts? Yes. Major. I couldn't stop thinking about not only him, but uh, Aaron Eckert, who played Harvey Two-Face, because I was thinking, like, man, he had, he was so, um, that was such a boisterous performance that he put on in that Mm -hmm. movie. And you can definitely see it here. I think he extrapolated a lot. Um, but you can see where he got the inspiration from, for sure. Absolutely. And Christopher, I'm sorry, Christian Bale has said that he kept a copy of Dark Victory um, on his nightstand by his bed in the trailer. And that's where he got his personality for Bruce from. Okay. Like through osmosis or who was reading it? <laughs> I don't know, actor types are weird, so. <laughs> Um, I love Gary. Gary Oldman's one of my favorite actors of all time. So, yeah. Uh, for me, for me, it's all animated series. Like I hear it mm. all in the animated series. So Bob Hastings, Kevin Conroy, and um, um, not. Well, who is it? I don't remember. Uh, if you don't know it, we're not going to know it. <laughs> I thought it was. Um, I thought it was Lando. But he was supposed to be Two Face. Billy D. Williams. In... No, he was supposed to be Two Face in the, the Burton verse. That's right. Yeah, I think I think Two Face in the animated series wasn't as well known. Uh, he actually just died like last week. The actor who played him, I That's forget right. the name, but yeah, he just he did just. I think die. you're right. Yeah. Um, Rob F had a question. Has have have the creators hinted that they have a definitive answer? As sorry, have the creators hinted that they have a definitive answer, or that they also see it as multiple choice? Not to my knowledge, and again, to me, while there is the ability to debate, I do feel like I, I feel like it's explicit that at least Gilda and Alberto were definitely doing this. Um, whether or not Harvey was Harvey, not Two Face, but like Harvey before Two Face came, uh, whether or not he was involved, I do think is op- more open ended. The only thing that's definitive is that Gilda did do the killings at the beginning. Yeah. Right. Post New Year's, it's where it gets murky. And I think I think in the long Halloween special that came out two years ago, three year, two years ago, um, Calendar Man confirms it. He's like, I knew Gilda was she. He actually is is hunting her in that, from what I remember. Um, He's oh. also not the only person who figures out that it that it's a woman. Yeah. Yeah. In the film. In the in the long Halloween comic, they they realized because the gun is a small gun that it that it must be a woman that's using it. Oh right, right, right. And it's also the same gun that Harvey uses throughout the book. So yeah, little things like that I love about it. We had a question from Gilmer Eric Smith who said, "Any ideas for the next book club?" So first of all, thank you for asking. Now the way that we choose the book clubs is. We all get a pick, although uh, 
by normal rules, whoever whoever's pick is picked, they don't get a, uh, a follow-up one. for. So I should be eliminated. But uh, this all goes down on Patreon. Our patrons get to vote between our options as to what the next book club will be. And then the one that wins is the one that we do a presentation on. So this time, our our patrons decided that they wanted us to talk about the long Halloween. Thank you for voting. We really appreciate everybody that does that over on patreon.com slash the comics pals. And I think long Halloween winning was just serendipitous. It was like, wait, we can do this live right near Halloween. Yeah. Yeah. Things just kind of came together. Yeah. Also just to, you know, people fucking love this book. No guys, we planned this out. We're we, that's what we do. We, we plan these out with foresight and that's what it was. Should we announce who what, what the options will be, Sean? Or did we solidify that? So, uh, yeah, if I'm disqualified, then we're good to go. Yeah. Um, okay. Atomic Hound says, are book clubs live going forward? Yes, they are. Uh, that is the plan going forward is to do these things live. Hopefully you guys enjoy the live experience. We're not done, by the way. We still want to get through more of your, more of your questions. We've got a little bit more time. Um, but hopefully you guys enjoy the live experience and this can be the way forward. Uh, so Tyler, do you want to announce the books? Yeah. Know? So we have three options this, this go around. Uh, so one of the options is uh, Flex Mentallo by Grant Morrison. Is that Frank Quitely as well? Well, you know, it is baby. Yeah. yeah. So Flex Mentallo that's by uh, Grant Morrison and Frank Quitely. Uh, my, that, that's Kale's pick. Uh, my pick is uh, Sin City volume two, a dame to kill for. By Frank Miller. Um, probably the Sin City story. Uh, and then Marco uh, picked a fellow Mark with Mark Wade's Empire um, and also Empire Uprising, which is a continuation of it. Yeah. Yes, sir. Where, where is that? What's that published from? Uh, it, like, it was like it started with like Gorilla Comics or something, then got moved to DC, then like IDW. Uh, one of those so. creator ones that just flip flops between big two sometimes. Yeah, yeah. and uh, it, it exists outside of the DC universe, although technically it was published by them. But um, yeah, so it's a it's, it's a thing. So those are the options. They'll be posted tomorrow, um, and you guys can vote on Patreon.com/slash The Comics Pals if you're not already on there. There's a lot of great stuff. I think our audience would speak to those of you who have decided to join us over there would speak to the amount that we put into making sure that it's fun. Um, and this is just one of the perks getting to choose or be a part of choosing what we read uh, for the book club. Let's hit a couple more comments and questions if we can. Uh, Dan Trudeau says, this has been fun. I was burned out on Batman for years and this got me to go back and enjoy him as a character again. That's awesome. Between this and the countdowns that we've been doing on the main show, um, we have been doing a lot of Batman talk, and I think I've noticed an upswing in people going back and rereading Batman stuff that is not even necessarily a part of the conversation that we've been having, but you guys have really made this your thing as much as ours, and I'm so grateful for that. It's awesome. Mm. So out of curiosity, before we started the show, I actually listened to... Uh, my previous podcast, Longbox, with Matt Murphy uh, on the show, um, just to see what my thoughts were four years ago on this book. Oh, um, did you cover this? We did, yeah, and we I, we didn't like, we didn't even talk about the book till like thirty minutes in. Mess of a show. Um, Sounds right. But <laughs> but uh, one of the things I always mention is like when it comes to like thinking of comics in collected formats, I think DC first every time. Yeah. Even though I'm a Marvel guy. 
Um, like I can name Batman Along Halloween. I can name, you know, Superman for all seasons, you know, JLA, Tower, Babel. Um, whereas Marvel is a, such a, a much more um, weekly, monthly experience for me, like an ongoing experience. Uh, so that when you, when you think about Batman, like Batman is like, I can picture spines of Batman collections in my head. Hmm. You know, uh, so I love reading these these collected Batman stories. Right, like like uh, Chris Claremont's X Men. You you got oh right the the seventies, sure. the eighties, and yeah. the nineties. Days of Future Past is two what two issues? Like that doesn't really uh, count, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, we got a comment from uh, Catherine Stars. Love the live experience. Always it's preferred. Thank you very much. Uh, love the engagement. Still watch things. I, I miss recorded, but live is always best. Yeah, appreciate that. Uh um Amon Perez said this book has aged aged fantastically I have nothing against those stories but Venom Prey and even year two are hard to read nowadays and that's something that I have struggled with as a you know a lover of Batman has been that some of that stuff is tough to get to and get through whereas this is smooth and and year one is smooth and there's a reason why the books that are on the upper echelon of the ones that we talk about when we talk about Batman are those books and the ones that are from you know before the 2000s you know a big reason why they are talked about is because of how much they stand up above everything else that was coming out at that time this doesn't feel like an old book it's not Mm -hmm. written like an old book if you took the script and the art of this book and you put the same book out now today it would be great Tom King it's, and Doc Shainer. It's timeless. It's timeless. El Marco. What do you mean? He's a he's our modern mystery man. He does it in twelve to thirteen issues, and then you want a slightly cartoony, but you know, uh, well shaded art. Doc Shainer. I'm I, forget them. I'm talking about these exact two people. <laughs> this exact same creative effort. This is um, this works in any era of comics. Oops. Uh, we got a question from Gilmer. He says, "Why do you think the Joker cares about Holiday?" When uh, when Joker's introduced in issue three, uh, I feel like I, I don't know if he's attention. Yeah, nope. yeah, exactly. He's my cat when I'm watching TV. Like that's all it is. Yeah, yeah. He's he's angry for his the attention being taken away from him the yep. same way that Alberto is angry that he can't get the attention. Right. Yep. Um, there's just so many interesting things going on in this. I book. have a question, if it. if it's okay to throw it out there. Yeah, is this your favorite Jeff Loeb book? No. I, I know we talked yes. about Tim Sale, possibly you know best Tim Sale, but best Jeff Loeb. Like I know you're a fan of uh his uh Red Hulk run. Um, so... I'm seeing red. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, Spider Man Blue for me. I think I might agree with that. That made me cry, so. Rob F. said, love this book, but I'm excited for filmmakers to move past it and look at other books because both Nolan and Reeves took elements from it. Yes, they did. Um, I think it's hard to look past, but the fact that this book is rooted in the early days of Batman means that whenever a 
creator is thinking about the early days of Batman, they're going to look to this source material. So, and, and frankly, I'm not tired of seeing these elements. I just want to see other elements. Um, you know, hopefully with Matt Reeves, the Batman too, we can do a whole bunch of other cool things, but, uh, yeah, we, this is well-worn territory. But frankly, we're never going to see that because they're never going to move past it. So the one time that somebody took a different inspiration was through Miller's stuff. And then we got Batfleck. So, um, sorry. That's what happens when we take inspiration from Morrison. Come on. That's what happens when we're given nice things. Right. Um, any other comments or questions we need to get to? Spider-Man blue for me. Okay, so I'm impressed choosing Spider-Man blue as the the best Jeff Loeb. Does ult, uh, Matt says ultimates. Oh my god. You oh, know man. and you know what? <laughs> I know that Marco doesn't you, I don't. I don't. I, don't. I know <laughs> that you don't. <laughs> you I, don't. That's so funny. My, my man my man is cheering for a uh Jeff Loeb's breakdown the same way I was cheering for Frank Miller's breakdown about 9-11. <laughs> wow. Well, now that 9-11 has come up, I think I it's time to, for us to yeah, wrap. We're not even talking about to Frank land Miller. the plane. I mean, <laughs> wow. Thank you guys so much for joining us. I really appreciate everybody who came out and watched this live we really wanted this to be special for our first ever live book club. And I think it was, um, thank you guys so much for your questions throughout and your enthusiasm and engagement. Hopefully you guys enjoyed this conversation. If you did, there are a ton of ways that you can support the show. As you know, in the chat, we had so many of our channel members. You guys are fantastic. Uh, whether you're a sidekick or a VI pal, those are two separate tiers. So we appreciate every single one of you just the same. Also, thank you to our patrons who make everything that we do here possible. Y'all are phenomenal. Thank you for showing up for us to talk about an amazing book. Hopefully you will vote for our next book and we can make that just as special, if not more special. We look forward to doing this with you more. Stay tuned. Same bat time, same bat channel. We'll be back. We are the Comics Pal signing off. Until then, take care, guys. October, November, December, we'll be back. <laughs> <laughs>